Too bad about radio. Oh, what do you mean? Well, since television, you know, hardly anybody listens to radio anymore. Oh, I wouldn't worry about that if I were you. There's a radio in use for every man, woman, and teenager in America. Really? Gee, I'd hate to think of them all turning them on at once. They do. Every morning. Who listens to radio? That go where you go, medium called radio. With you every night through the long commuter fight, and in the morning with your host and mama lady oh, who listens to radio? No matter if it's summer, winter, spring, or fall, who listens to radio? Only 150 million people. Find yourself in danger when you're threatened by a stranger When it looks like you will take a licking <laughs> There is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you Just call OTR Rob Ladies and gentlemen, the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin Presents The Halls of Ivy Starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman And now here is your guide to these adventures of the mind there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you this fall. OTR And now, here is OTR So when you hear that cry in the sky, Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks is an English teacher at Madison High School. She can tell you everything you need to know about the present and past subjunctive, but she's not at all sure about the future. That is, her romantic future with biology teacher Philip Boynton. The Columbia Broadcasting System presents a new comedy. My friend Irma. Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane with John Brown as Al. Good morning, Dr. Hall. Good morning. And congratulations. You've just set a new record for going without sleep. Any statement for the press, champ? Uh, yes, I, I'm glad to bring the cup back to Ivy, where it belongs. And I'm looking forward with great confidence to the international match in Brussels next spring. Oh, poor uh, darling. How do you feel? Uh, surprisingly well, if the ability to cope with whimsy on an empty stomach is at all indicative. Do I look awful? Mm, interesting, rather. One so seldom sees a chartreuse complexion. <laughs> Bad as that, eh? Well, it's worth it. One seldom sees an annual report as superb as the one I've just finished writing. Here, have a look. Let's see. The state of the college. Or, in the vernacular, out of the red and over the hump with Hall. Mm. <laughs> you sound enormously set up about it. I've reason to be. I had no idea how much I'd accomplished last year until I put it all down in black and white. The endowment fund is up, the building fund is up, enrollments are up. And what are you doing up? Will you be working very much longer this morning? Oh, I'm ready for bed. Well, good. Penny will be right in with your overcoat and hat. My overcoat and hat? Vicky, 
We've been married long enough for me to make a confession. I never go to bed wearing an overcoat and tie. Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob, and welcome to the Halls of Ivy. This episode of the Halls of Ivy comes from December 19th. 1951, the episode is entitled The Snowman. As you might have guessed, I don't have an hour Miss Brooks for this week. In fact, I won't have an hour Miss Brooks until the 1st of January. So I thought I would plug in the Halls of Ivy this time. I don't know what I will plug in next week in place of our Miss Brooks, but I will figure it out. And that's the problem we have, that none of the shows that I have for this week match up with the current date of close to Christmas time. So it's going to be kind of a unique hodgepodge of my friend Irma is undated, and the Fred Allen show goes all the way back to 1939, and it's a December show, and it's an hour long, so you get two hours of listening and enjoyment. I hope you like it, and I'll be back after this with my friend Irma, and after that, Fred Allen from 1939. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, presents The Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. I was curious. I tasted it. Now I know why Schlitz is the beer that made Milwaukee famous. If you like good beer, you'll find it pays to be curious and learn about Schlitz for yourself. And now, the Halls of Ivy. National match in Brussels next spring. Oh, poor uh, darling. How do you feel? Uh, surprisingly well, if the ability to cope with whimsy on an empty stomach is at all indicative. Do I look awful? Mm, interesting, rather. One so seldom sees a chartreuse complexion. <laughs> Bad as that, eh? Well, it's worth it. 
One seldom sees an annual report as superb as the one I've just finished writing. Here, have a look. Let's see. The state of the college. Or, in the vernacular, out of the red and over the hump with Hall. Mm. <laughs> you sound enormously set up about it. I've reason to be. I had no idea how much I'd accomplished last year until I put it all down in black and white. The endowment fund is up, the building fund is up, enrollments are up. What are you doing up? Will you be working very much longer this morning? Oh, I'm ready for bed. Well, good. Penny will be right in with your overcoat and hat. My overcoat and hat? Vicky, we've been married long enough for me to make a confession. I never go to bed wearing an overcoat and hat. <laughs> I'm one of those odd fellows who slips between the sheets wearing only pajamas. I know I should have revealed this oh, before, but I... <laughs> I told Penny to bring in our hats and coats because I'm taking you for a walk. A short walk for relaxation, a light breakfast, and then a good long sleep. Excuse then you'll me, Mum. Yes, I Penny. brought you things. Good morning, sir. Oh, good morning, Penny. I'll take those. Thank you. You're looking well this morning, Penny. Thank you very kindly, sir. And you're looking... It's a very nice morning for a walk. <laughs> you don't say. Yes, sir. It snowed last night. The first real snow we've had this year, and it's ever so lovely. Makes one want to go out and throw snowballs at top hats. Well, feel free to do so whenever the spirit moves you, Penny. I'm ready, Victoria. Uh, Penny, you didn't by any chance notice the snowman on our front lawn, did you? Should I have, sir? Well, after the first really good snowfall of the year, the students had the custom of building a snowman in front of the home of each faculty member. Uh, you've heard of that, haven't you? No, sir. And the more affection they have for you, the larger the snowman they build. There ain't one on our lawn. Allow me, sir. Why, I dare say the snow fell too late for them to have taken advantage of it last night. Which way should we walk, Toddy? Long faculty row? Yes, that'll do nicely. The second half an hour, Penny. That's custom the students have. It, it's almost cruel in oh, a way. Not in the least. I admit it must seem so to those members of the faculty for whom very small snowmen are built, but, but they survive. Uh, Professor Heaslip, for example has survived years of snowmen not much larger than a Drosophila fruit fly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Heaslip is lucky the students built any token of affection on his lawn. If anything, his personality suggests excavation. <laughs> and the report I've just finished makes it more certain than ever he won't get my job. His carefully cultivated friendship with the chairman of the board notwithstanding. That's really a smashing report, Vicky. I raised almost a million dollars in endowments. Built... Built what? What from? Look, there's a snowman in front of Professor Quincannon's house. Oh. And the snow came early enough after all. Hmm. Well, perhaps, perhaps it wasn't the students, Toddy. Professor Quincannon had two children. They may have built it. Children build snowmen, too, you know. Of course, that must be it. I mean, after all, there's no reason to suppose that students would build one for Quincannon and overlook me, is there? I mean, there's no reason to suppose they're antagonistic to me. I, I mean, I, I, I don't see why they should be. Do you? No, of course they're not. Um, you were telling me about your smashing report. Toddy, come on. Hmm? Oh, oh yes, yes, my, um, uh, report. I, well, I suppose I shouldn't have said it's a, a, a smashing report. It's, it's not really smashing, but, but it's a darn good one. 
I believe I may say, without immodesty, that I'm good at my job. After all, a college president must have ability and... and... Keenness of vision? Well, all college presidents have keen vision. A few, in fact, can even see themselves in the White House in 1952. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I knew a man once who... I'm listening to what? What are you staring at? A snowman in Professor Howard's front yard. Oh, yes. Oh, I suppose Professor Howard's children must have built one, too. Professor Howard is a bachelor. Uh, of course, I'd forgotten. Well, then, Professor Quintana's children must have come over from next door. I remember when I was a child, I used to build snowmen all over the place. Couldn't get enough of them. Barely cover the landscape and build one in front of my house and one next door and then one further down the street. Yes, they, they, they could have come over from next door, couldn't they? Quinn Cannon's children, I mean. Well, of course they could. Yes, they could have jumped over the hedge yes. or, or even come around that way through the gate. Mm-hmm. There's not much more than 30 paces. <laughs> and you know, they're very active youngsters, positively hyperthyroid. Oh, they are. <laughs> oh, one probably said to the other, let's build one now on old Howard's lawn. Yes, exactly. As a matter of fact, I seem to remember having heard children shouting something like that earlier this morning. Um, you were telling me about your report. Hmm? Your report. I want to hear more about how darn good it is. Oh, well, I suppose I shouldn't have said it's a darn good report. It's, it's not really... It, it, it's a fair report. A little more. Vicky, uh, darling, you spend much more time with the students than I do, really. What with your coaching the junior follies and all. You haven't heard any... any grumbling about my administration, have you? None, Toddy, none. Ah. It wasn't a very tall hedge, you know. Quinn Cannon's children could have jumped over. <laughs> Oh, that's true. I mean, that's very sturdy. Oh, it's the most natural thing in the world. Yes, Toddy, um, let's turn down this street. I'm rather tired of faculty row. Same old hedges, same old houses. This street seems very charming. Really? You find that row of garbage pails charming? Oh, well, I suppose not. Oh, dear. There's a snowman in front of Professor Warren's house, too. The young Quinn Cannons have had a quite a busy morning. <laughs> Good morning, Doctor. Ah, good morning, Dr. Warren. Good morning, Mrs. Hall. Out for a stroll? Yes, we're out for a stroll. Well, I find there's nothing like it on a morning like this for getting rid of the doldrums, don't you? Occasionally. Uh, we, were, we were just admiring the snowman in your front yard. It has a great deal of character. Well, it's a pip, isn't it? I know it's not supposed to be good form for a faculty member to pay any attention to this sort of thing. But when you're 70, as I am, hypocrisy is too much of a strain. I just look at that gleaming monster and glow, Doctor. Glow. Well, I don't blame you. And yet, uh, the custom in some cases can be cruel, don't you think? I mean, the, the ones that don't get built. Nope. It's not the custom that's cruel. It's the crushing impact of truth. Some people can't stand up under it at all. You take a present of ivy we had in 1900. That's before your time. Bessemer was his name. One year, every member of the staff had a snowman except Bessemer. Old Pop Gut Bessemer. <laughs> he resigned a few weeks later, for reasons of health, of course. Oh, that seems very impulsive of him, a little drastic. Well, Ivy's a small school and always has been. 
personalities play a much bigger part than they do at some of these giant diploma factories. You wouldn't care to continue as president if you knew that the students had much rather tie a can to your tail, would you, Doctor? Well, now, that, that, that's an interesting way to put it, but, uh, no, I suppose not. Why, of course not. You look at it this way, Mrs. Hall. Teaching hardly ever pays off in money. The average prof makes only about 2500 a year. And it hardly ever pays off in glory. I myself can name ten baseball players or burlesque queens, bless them, <laughs> for every teacher you can bring to mind. Well, then, what makes an old party like me, the last of the tobacco-chewing professors, or a man like your husband stay with us? Pride in the job, I suppose. Pride in the job. That and the feeling that maybe we're helping the young savages become not scholars, but men and women, and that they appreciate it. Take that away and what's left? Absolute zero. <laughs> Here I am lecturing the president. Tell you when you arrive at my age and succeed in conning people to regard you as a lovable old gaffer, you get away with murder. <laughs> Care to come in for coffee? Uh, no, 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 thank you. We, we have breakfast waiting at home. That's the wisest decision you've made today. In all the world, no one concocts as nauseating a cup of coffee as I do. <laughs> I'll see you soon, I hope, ma'am. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye, Dr. Warren. He's a pip, isn't he? My snowman. The very word for it, he's a pip. Careful, don't slip on that snow. Uh, by the way, Vicky, uh, did I did I tell you I received a letter from Quesnel University this week? I don't believe you did, Toddy. Why? Well, they hadn't heard of the renewal of my contract as president here at Ivy, and they made me a very flattering offer. Um, treasurer of the university. <laughs> at almost the same salary I have here. Toddy. Uh, further, and, um, oh, perhaps of more importance, it's, uh, purely administrative job. I wouldn't come into contact with students at all. Not, not, not ever. Toddy! They requested the, the courtesy of a reply this week. It's, it's really a most flattering offer. I, I, I rather think I'll, think I'll accept. Yes, 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 I think it would be best. <laughs> curious. I tasted it. Now I know why Schlitz is the beer that made Milwaukee famous. We'll return to the halls of Ivy starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman in just a moment, as soon as we hear how a young actor got his first taste of fame. Offhand, one would say there's scarcely a rhyme and hardly a reason for associating Shakespeare with Schlitz beer. But perhaps I'd better start at the beginning of my story. Our little theater group was putting on Romeo and Juliet, and I, I was this year's Romeo. Being uh, handicapped by two left feet and an instinctive dread of high places, I, I don't mind telling you that climbing that balcony gave me a good deal of trouble in spite of um, considerable extra practice on my part. After our dress rehearsal, I still wasn't satisfied with my agility, so I decided to make a few practice climbs before calling it a night. As I reached the balcony the second time, I 
happened to glance down. And there below me, I saw the rest of the cast gathered around drinking beer. The labels on the bottles told me it was Schlitz. And the expressions on the faces of my fellow players told me I was missing something. I knew Schlitz by reputation, but not by taste. So I climbed down from the balcony to find out what I was missing. If you could have seen me standing there in full Shakespearean costume, tasting Schlitz for the first time, you might have expected me to say something like, Pawn my soul, what beer is this that lies so pleasantly upon the tongue? But no, I just stood there speechless, grinning from ear to ear. The director, sensing my plight, said, It seems that words can fail even an actor at a time like this. Let me say it for you. No wonder they call Schlitz the beer that made Milwaukee famous. Trying to think of the right thing to say. Oh, you don't have to say anything, my dear. The silent eloquence of the students has left very little unsaid. Toddy, I know how you must feel. In a small way, I've been through it a number of times in the theater. Playing for laughter and applause and getting the rustle of programs and a few coughs. You can say to yourself, chin up and good show and carry on and all that. And over it all, you can hear the lorries backing up to the stage door to haul the scenery away. Well, this time, they're going to haul the actor away from the scenery. And after I convinced myself that I'd given such a sterling performance. Smashing report, indeed. Would it help if I tried a recital of Kipling's If? It kills them in the provinces. <laughs> it's likely to prove lethal here, too. But thank you, my dear, anyway. As organizer and sole member of the William Todd Hunter Hall fan club... You've done some noble work. Oh, Toddy, you don't have to try and laugh it off for me. Get it out of your system, darling. Grow up! Curse the Board of Governors! <laughs> and their promise that I wouldn't have to spend my time wangling emoluments. Curse my folly in believing them. To the devil with all fatheads who get me away from the students. Bah! <laughs> Oh, that was lovely. <laughs> no wonder they feel no affection for me. I'm so seldom with them. Not not that to know me is to to love me, you understand. I understand nothing of the sort. I know you very well, and I'm mad about you. How difficult it is to... Oh, thank you, my dear. <laughs> How difficult it is to maintain contact with the student body. One college president I know... Scheduled a speech to the senior class for the sole purpose of proving that he actually did exist. Oh. And that... That's what's wrong with my report. Oh, Toddy, I'm sure it's a superb report. No, on the contrary. I, I omitted all reference, beyond a few statistics, to the most important part of any school, the students. And what they think about the state of Ivy. Uh, I 
should have found time to teach more courses. Look at Hutchins at Chicago and Conant at Harvard. The students are what make a college, not campus buildings and installations. Diogenes discoursed from a tub, and his students listened, and it was a school. Toddy, look, talking of tubs, I see Professor Heeslip. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this hedge—he's just leaving his front door. Is there a, a a snowman on his lawn? Yes, a very small one, which he has just made larger with two handfuls of snow. Oh, oh, he's heard it and stepped back. Well, hello there. Good morning, Skipper. Good morning, fair lady. Good morning. Uh, good morning. He's slippers. A nice snowman you have there. Yes, it's a very nice little one. Oh, you should have seen it before the sun came up and melted it. Amazing how quickly it went. Uh, this is the warmest part of Faculty Row, you know. Oh, really? I found the whole area very cold. Oh, that's a mistake, Skipper. That snowman was inches lower. I, I mean higher, a few minutes ago. It melted down considerably. Also, the boys and girls happened to have chosen a slight dip in the ground in which to build it. It's much taller than it looks. Optical illusion, you know. Not that I pay any attention to such things, of course. Of course. I'm happy the students like me as much as they do. Of course. I've often asked myself why. Naturally, I don't court their affection. I'm very strict, but a fair pedagogue, if I say so myself. Perhaps it's the occasional humor with which I sprinkle my lectures. For example? Oh, well, uh, well, 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 yesterday, uh, I was discussing uh, nature references in the poetry of the more eminent Victorians, one of whom referred to a dogwood tree in some lyric or other. I asked my students if they knew how to distinguish a dogwood tree, and when they said they didn't, uh, I told them. By its bark. <laughs> well, uh, I must be getting to class. Uh, good morning, Skipper. Good morning, Heathcliff. Good morning, fair lady. Good morning. The warmest part of faculty row, indeed. Ah. And yet, for the sake of that little snowman, I think I'd almost be willing to change places with Heathcliff. Mm, it'd be a little bit rough on me. What are the boys and girls, as he calls them, see in the man. Well, it's true he has no enemies, but that's more than balanced for the fact that none of his friends like him. <laughs> well, let's turn back, Toddy. Oh, this is probably one of the last times we'll ever stroll along here, Victoria. It's an attractive little street, isn't it? Yes. I've lived here a long time. And I've loved it here. See that house across the way? Mm-hmm. I had a furnished room there when I was an instructor. On the top floor. Kitchen privileges. Female visitors permitted only as far as the front parlor. Please turn out the light before leaving the room. Mm, Liberty Hall, wasn't it? <laughs> then when I was appointed assistant professor, I moved over to this side of the street. Sitting room, bedroom and bath. Hot plate permitted. No wild parties. Oh, what exactly was a wild party at Ivy in those days? If I remember correctly, more than two people laughing at the same time. <laughs> uh, but then, then I allowed my appointment to a full professorship to go to my head, and, and I rented that Charles Adams mansion over there. Oh, it wasn't a Charles Adams mansion. It was a wonderful old place to live. Yes, it was, wasn't it? I mean, after I brought you there. 
was fairly empty when I occupied it all by myself. It echoed. Empty and unsatisfying, and nothing I did with it. New furniture, new drapes, fresh paint. Seemed to propitiate the fat little gods of the heart. Until you offered them me as a human sacrifice, eh? You might very well have been mistaken for a human sacrifice as I handed you down from the taxi that first morning. You were scared to death. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I'd never had a home of my own before. Just hotel rooms and flats and theater dressing rooms. Now, here we are, driver. And, uh, and this is for you. Our home, Victoria. Oh, William. It's exactly the way I imagined it. All covered with vines and so very peaceful and quiet. And oh, look! My name's on the letterbox. <laughs> I sent a letter from England asking that it can be done. Professor W. Hall and Mrs. Victoria Cromwell Hall. <laughs> oh, thank you, Toddy, for being such a dear love. Always as quiet as this? Yes. Nearly always. And empty. I don't see any students. <laughs> One of them has just seen you. <laughs> you seem to have arrived in more ways than one. Come on. Let's go inside. Please take my hand. <laughs> I'm suddenly appalled at how little I know about taking care of a household. Uh, hang on tight, darling. I have shortcomings, too. Promise you'll overlook mine until I've learnt my way around. I promise. It'll be a mutual understanding. Now, what did I do with the key? Can't you find it? Well, I could swear I had it in my hand. I thought I... Oh, I do have it in my hand. Oh, oh, you're as nervous as I am, really, aren't you? I'm so glad. I keep on forgetting you're new at this, too. There. No, 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 wait, wait. What? Wait. There's a little ceremony involved here, a very nice one. I'll carry you across the thresholds, like this. Oh, Toddy, look, a snowman. A snowman? What's a snowman doing in our hallway? Don't you Yet the students must have come while we were out walking. Yeah, but they've no right to build one inside the house. And where did they get the snow in May? No, Toddy, it's a snowman. And it isn't May, it's February. Yes, I know, but we... From wherever you were, dear, come back. You have a snowman. Yes, but I mean... I mean uh, uh, and it's what? the most enormous snowman you've ever seen. Right over there. Oh, oh! This is right. This is a snowman. In our front yard. Vicky, I... Is our house, isn't it? Yes, of course it is. Oh, Toddy, you're always losing yourself in your thoughts. Not completely, my darling, because you're always with me. But I, I don't understand this, this Look, it snowman. Look, there be a note attached to it. Yes, it's addressed to you. Here, so what does it say? Oh, one moment. Uh, to President Hall, the delay in construction is entirely your fault. If you must work nights. Please do so in one of the back rooms and avoid those overlooking the front of the house. <laughs> in that way, the traditional anonymity of the bill... They misspelled anonymity. <laughs> the traditional anonymity of the builders will be preserved. 
Affectionately, classes of 50 to 53, inclusive. Well, now. Hmm. Of course, it was probably a good bit larger when they first put it up. <laughs> oh, this is the warmest part of Faculty Row, you know. Yeah, I know. Could you stand a bit of breakfast and some sleep now? Uh, breakfast, by all means, but no sleep. As yet, remember, I have the report to get out. Another report? The same one, but better. Far better and a great deal more inclusive. Directly after breakfast, I shall want to see the presidents of every class in my study. Yes, and the officers of all student organizations, too. All at once in your little study? Oh, 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 we'll get them in, my dear. We'll get them in. Look at that snowman. It's good packing today. <sighs> I tasted it. Now I know why Schlitz is the beer that made Milwaukee famous. And now, here again is Mr. Ronald Coleman. The campaign to fight heart disease, this country's leading cause of death, is now underway. Diseases of the heart and blood vessels take an annual toll of more than 600,000 men, women, and children. A staggering number indeed. This dreaded menace accounts for one death out of every three, a greater toll of lives than the next five causes of death combined. This year, give generously in support of this wonderful cause. Send your contributions to Heart, care of your local post office. Open your heart, give to fight heart disease. Thank you. Good night. Good night, everyone. week at this time at the Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. The other players were Alan Reed, Gloria Gordon, and Arthur Q. Bryan. Tonight's script was written by Walter Brown Newman and Don Quinn. Our music was composed and conducted by Henry Russell. The Halls of Ivy was created by Don Quinn and directed by Nat Wolf. From the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company and the Halls of Ivy, our heartiest congratulations to station WTIC in Hartford, Connecticut, on this, their 25th anniversary. Ken Carpenter speaking. Logic for you. 
Hey everyone, it's OTR Rob welcoming you to My Friend Irma. This episode has no date, but the episode is entitled Irma's Accident. So enjoy this, and after My Friend Irma is an hour of Fred Allen. Enjoy. Oh, and Merry Christmas to everybody. And Kathy Lewis as Jake. Those 15 people you're frightened to death. Well, you can't blame me. It's those stupid signs they have. 
stupid time? Yes, it's a safety zone, and when I drove into it to get out of the way uh, of all the traffic, the cop bailed me out. So you tangled with the law, too. You're lucky he didn't give you a ticket. Oh, he couldn't. I don't have a license. <laughs> but he, he was going to take me to court. What made him change his mind? I don't know. I offered to drive him there. <laughs> Look, I'm not interested in how it happened. All I want is my client's $50. But I don't have $50. Well, I'll give you 24 hours to get it. If you don't have it when I come back here, we start suit. Goodbye. Gosh, Jean, I, I, I guess you'll just have to let me have the fifty dollars. Uh-uh. 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 Virginia, my friend, you've got to help me out when I'm in trouble. Listen to me, Irma. I am through helping you out of the ridiculous situations you managed to get yourself into. Now, you are strictly on your own. That's a fine way to talk when I've been trying so hard to improve myself. You call this improving? Well, that would have been worse. I almost hit a big truck, but I stopped the car just in time. <laughs> well, good for you. How did you manage to do that? I ran out of gas. <laughs> Please, Jane, you've got to lend me the money. No, not a chance, Cookie. I don't want to seem unreasonable, but this is unforgivable. Driving a car when you don't know how. You could have killed someone. No. No, Irma, this is your own party. But, Jane, when you're in trouble, I always help you. When was I ever in trouble? That time I set your dress on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, I've made up my mind. It is all settled. I'm tired of being a mother to a girl my own age. Come in. Hello, girls. Hello, Mrs. O'Reilly. Hello. Say, what's the matter with you girls? You sound like you've been quarreling. We have. I don't know what's the matter with Jane. Just because I made a little mistake, she's mad at me. A little mistake. Mrs. O'Reilly, all she did was to borrow a car when she doesn't know how to drive, doesn't have a license, and doesn't have money to pay the damages. Damages? Yes, yes. I've been telling her that she had no business borrowing a car when she's not a responsible person. Not responsible? I certainly am, and I have witnesses. You have? Yes, a policeman and a driver of the other car both said I was responsible. <laughs> and now King won't help me. Help you? Yes, I need $50. Will you lend it to me? Well, if it's such an emergency, maybe I could Oh, now, Mrs. O'Reilly, before that big heart of yours begins to melt, let me tell you something. Irma will never learn to take care of herself as long as she knows that we will come to her rescue. Oh, Jane, how can you be so cruel? Well, Irma, I see what Jane's driving at, and maybe she's right. You know, when I was a little girl, I used to be very cocky, because I knew I could always run to my mother. But one day, something happened that changed all that. You did? Yes, I was trying to steal some honey out of a beehive. And the bees got mad and started to chase me. So I quickly ran and hid under my mother's hoop skirt. But the bees followed me. And from that time on, I was on my own. Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropatsky. <laughs> Hello, Janie and Ima. And Mrs. O'Reilly. My three little beauties. You, Janie, with hair. 
that shines like silk. Well, thank you, Professor. And you, Elma. Oh, your hair is like a golden sunset. Thank you. And you, Mrs. O'Reilly. <laughs> yes, Professor. <laughs> Ragmark. <laughs> No news run through to pawn you, old reprobate you. Oh, now, please, Miss O'Reilly, that's no way to talk to the man that's going to lend me $50. $50? <laughs> Thanks for the compliment. <laughs> but tell me, what do you need $50 for? Pay for the car, Rex. How did you ever do such a thing? Whose car was? Well, it belonged to Mrs. Higgins, but I don't want to ask her for the money because she's mad at me already. Well, I'm a darling. I wish I could help you. Maybe if I hacked my face. Wait a minute. Wait. Wait a minute, Professor. You'll do no such thing. I'm trying to teach Irma to stand on her own two feet. And if you encourage her, all my work will be just for nothing. A fine friend you are, Jane, turning everybody against me. No, Irma, darling. What Jane is trying to do is for your own good. You know, a person's character is like a caution. If you want to take the easy way out, you can loosen it and relax. <laughs> but if you have willpower and keep it real tight, you'll always be in good shape. <laughs> the professor's right, Irma. <laughs> then is the time I wanted to loosen a whalebone or two and relax. <laughs> By the looks of you, they must have loosened the whole whale. <laughs> Yeah, and break my poor chicken's heart. What are you going to stand for? No. 
Someday I'm going to marry Chicken and take her away from all this. And when I do, don't want her to be such a nervous wreck she can't hold down a job. <laughs> all right, loudmouth. You want to go to that forum? For my chicken, I'll do anything. Why, I'd go to the ends of the earth for her. I'd climb the highest mountain. I'd give her my life blood. I'd... Okay, I'd... she needs $50. That stupid thing. <laughs>
Let's go over here. You can talk to me while I work in the garden. Here you have a pretty garden. Did you plant it all yourself? Just about. With the exception of that old weeping willow. That was planted by my great-grandfather. Oh, Mr. Clyde, stop trying to kid me. How could an old man lift such a heavy tree? <laughs> Look, will you just keep quiet while I plant? What did I do with the geranium slips? What? The little green things. There was a bunch of them right here. Oh, I've been eating them. I thought it was celery. Oh, no. <laughs> here, take these. What are they? They're Vigoro tablets. <laughs>
Lord Jamie. Mrs. O'Reilly here told me about the terrible news. What shall I do, now, control yourself. You know, I'm... Uh, it's too bad her last name isn't Hoover. We could rent her out for a vacuum. Oh. <laughs> and this paper she signed. And the way that man leered at me when he came to appraise our furniture. Now, take it easy, Joe. I had my lesson with those finance companies. I borrowed some money one time for plastic surgery. Did you have it done? <laughs> Certainly I had it done. There must be somebody you can sue. <laughs> we still you. Oh, how could she do it? How could she do it? Hello, everyone. Oh, there you are. Yes, Jane. You don't look happy. What's wrong? I don't look happy? Strange. I feel so joyful. I wouldn't be surprised if I had a stroke. <laughs> look at this paper you signed. Isn't it good? Good. It's wonderful. They'll be able to retire in a year. Irma Peterson, have you read this? No, is it interesting? It's fabulous. I want to ask you one thing. There are so many honest loan companies. Why did you have to pick this swindle outfit? Well, I needed the money because of the accident. Well, I've got news for you, honey. Before you repay this, you'll have to work until you're 90. 90? Yes. Not only that, but they get half the furniture, half your earthly possessions, and I haven't read the small print carefully. But unless I'm mistaken, if you and Al get married and have twins, they get one of the kids. <laughs> It will probably be the one I like best. Come in. Chicken, you're crying. She has reason to. Look at this. Let me see. Oh. This document is so crooked, even I can't understand. Well, in a situation like this, there is only one man to contact. Who else? Who else but... Hello, Joe. Got a problem. Look, Joe, Irma borrowed $50 from a crooked loan company. What is my move? Uh-huh. 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 Yeah, but Joe, I'd like your boys to wreck the joint. Why? Because this outfit must be run by the most big, the crooked, the crummiest person that ever lived. The name? Happiness Loan Company. What, Joe? Well, Joe, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was your mother's business. Joe, Joe, wait a minute. Well... Irma's release from the Happiness Loan Company. And rather than take any more chances, I loaned her the $50. And to make sure she doesn't get in any more trouble, Irma is taking driving lessons. Sweetie? Yes, Jane? How'd your driving lesson go today? Oh, wonderful. I answered all the teacher's questions correctly. I learned all the safety laws, and I learned all the words on the eye chart right. Well, that's fine. When do you take your next lesson? I don't know. I wrecked the teacher's car. <laughs> oh, you know, there's going to be another wreck 
my friend, Irma. Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob, welcoming you to Town Hall Tonight. This episode is from December 22nd, 1937, and the episode is entitled, Santa Will Not Ride on Christmas. Now, Santa Will Not Ride on Christmas was a playlet that Fred Allen wrote every year close to Christmas time where Santa declares that he's on a sit-down strike and he's not going to ride. And then he goes through his time as Santa Claus for almost 2,000 years and all the problems and all of the historical people he's met along the way where he had problems. And in this particular episode, he meets Nero, the man that drew a fiddle to watch Rome burn, which is not exactly true. He actually played something that was similar to a bagpipe. But anyway, it, as it says, you know, uh, Nero played while Rome burned. Actually, to be more accurate, it, it was Nero played the fiddle while Rome burned. I think that's how it goes. Well, in this case, the person playing the violin in this segment of Santa's on a sit-down strike is Jack Benny. He has no lines, but he plays the violin, and you can tell it's Jack Benny playing. And he did that without having any lines. He did that for Fred Allen. So that's the type of relationship that Fred Allen and Jack Benny had in reality. They were very good friends, and they would do just about anything for each other. So enjoy this episode of Town Hall Tonight, and play close attention to the end bit with Santa Claus Will Not Write Again, and you'll hear Jack Benny playing the violin. And happy holidays to everyone from Buck Benny, myself, and Mindy, and we hope you have a great holiday season. Well, sir, here we are before the old town hall, 
And there's Fred with an old oil lamp making light of the folks as they pass inside. Let's listen. Eeny, meeny, miny, and the more the merrier, folks. All roads lead to the old town hall. Now, don't jostle, madam. Hi there, croak voice. Hi, Pez. Hello, Mrs. Sider. Is Jack Benny here tonight, Mr. Allen? Not all here, but all there is of Benny you'll find on the inside. With a joke or tune, and we're starting soon. So hurry, 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 hurry. You finished, Fred? You bet, Harry. And it's up to Peter now. His first number is Be a Good Sport. Well, I'll try, Fred. Let her go, Peter. Mr. Tufton Pump gives off-record statements. 
How did you find the recent snap, Mr. Palm? It's the worst storm I've seen in these parts in the past ten years, uh, all but one year. Didn't you uh, see a storm that year? I didn't see nothing that year, son. I broke my glasses. Uh, <laughs> I see. Well, how cold was it, Mr. Palm? Well, to give you a rough idea, our Townsend Club gave a community sing last week, and they called on me to solo. What happened? It was so doggone cold, I opened my mouth to sing Old Man River. What came out? An icicle two choruses long. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Pop. At Eclair, Wisconsin, Mrs. Nadine Wine, a housewife, tells her strange story. You say it was real stormy, Mrs. Wine. Lord, yes. Snow was so high yesterday, folks going by the house were stooping down to look in my transom. Was it, uh, was it uncomfortable indoors? I was chilled so bad, I shook half the spots off a polka dot Mother Hubbard. Must have been cold, all right. It was plum bitter. Why, I sat down on a chair and thought I had a frostbite. <laughs> Wasn't it frostbite? No, I was setting onto my false teeth. Thank you, Mrs. Wine. At Rockaway Beach, New York, four dice Vestbaum, retired pushcart baron, had ghastly experience in the cold wave. What took place, Mr. Vestbaum? Why, what's happening to me should happen to a polar bear. Did the uh, cold affect you physically? Not only physically, but financially. Really? What happened? For 15 years, my neighbor gold club, a tight bug, but a good one, is owing me $4. Yesterday in our blizzard, I am eating gold slob. Face to face? Beard to beard, we are eating. <laughs> the temperature is below. Below zero? Below zero, is asking. On top of the mercury, zero is looking like a halo yet. <laughs> but what about gold slob? Gold slob, all of a sudden, getting sociable. He's saying, Miss Bomb, for 15 years, I am owing you $4. And today, you are catching me, and I'm with the saddle. Did you get the money? Well, I'm putting out my hand in the cold to take it. And lo and behold, I'm hearing something dropping. Was it the $4? What $4? It was four of my fingers. A climber, please. Thank you, Mr. Miss <laughs> At Hollywood, California... Miss Fern Fickle, loyal Californian, denies the very existence of a cold wave. You say you didn't observe the sudden change in temperature, Miss Fickle? In California, one doesn't discuss the weather with strangers, mister. Why, uh, not with strangers, huh? Only entre nous. Why, it was freezing. It was freezing last week. Oh, yes, zero night. The Chamber of Commerce arranges it annually. Uh, it's to help people with swimming pools. The Chamber of Commerce wants your swimming pools to freeze? Yes. Once a year, we tip up the ice and sweep out the bottom of the pool. You Californians take the cake. No, we lower it back in the pool instantly. You deny... You deny... <laughs> You deny the existence of bad weather here in Hollywood recently? As a loyal Californian, I do. Why, it was so cold last night, I saw a hail coming down. Not hail, tourist. You might have seen some puffed rain, but not hail. This is California. Thank you, Miss Fickle. Many farm tenants report unusual happenings. At Pine Snuff, Arkansas, Farmer Conway Straggle is interviewed in his barn. Don't you feel the cold here in your barn, Farmer Straggle? You're darn tootin', stranger. So cold in here right now, I'm steam heating them hens' nests. You, uh, you have to heat the nests? Sure do. 
How'd you like to sit down in a nest of cold straw and try to lay an egg? Well, I, uh... Me neither, son. Does the... <laughs> Does the cold bother your cows? You betcha. Milk freezes right in him. I've been getting it out in sticks. Milk sticks? Yeah. Oh, look, I'll show you. I'll move over there, Betsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, quiet. I'll milk her for you. As the milk comes out about a foot, and it freezes, and I snap her off. Thank you, Farmer Straggle. Break me off a pint, and I'll take it with me. These flashes have given you an idea of the present-day machine age cold wave, ladies and gentlemen. But in the mind of the oldest inhabitant, the outstanding cold wave ever to sweep this country occurred during the winter of 1871. On the night of January 2nd, 1871, the mercury took a 52-degree drop. The drop. stars tonight, the Basin Street Boys. You have heard their voices many times in musical cartoons, and tonight they sing their latest number, You Drove the Gloom Away. And 
now, much as it pains me, and will you, may I present... Jello again. This is Jack Denny talking. Will you go away? <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> may I present, ladies and gentlemen... I don't mind riffraff coming in the audience, but when it comes to the microphone of audience, <laughs> may I present Mr. J. Aloysius Grump, who sees all, tells all, and knows enough, after reading a reliable weather report, to come in out of the rain. Mr. Grump. Hi, folks. Hi, hi, hi. I understand... I understand you're a bit of a prophet in your spare time, Mr. Grump. You said it, Alan. You said it. I'm in the know, see? So I can tell what's going to happen before it happens, see? And I'd like to say right here and now that from where I sit, the outlook's pretty gloomy. Pretty gloomy indeed, yes, sir. What? With with Christmas coming on? That's just my point. Most of the gals who'd like to have mink coats for Christmas are going to get washing machines. Willy-nilly, eh? You said it. Father's checking account is going to have fallen ounces, and that ain't all. People all over the country will go through the holidays eating too much and drinking too much and feeling like the end of a misspent life. And there's nothing they can do about it. Oh, now, come, come, Mr. Grump. You are painting a pretty gloomy picture here. I trust that a lot of us will overindulge during the holidays. And naturally, we will feel stuffy or grouchy or have a headache. Because that overindulgence has upset our stomachs. But there is something you can do about it, ladies and gentlemen. You can reach for a friendly bottle of Sal Hepatica. Because so many physicians will tell you that sluggish, under-par feeling is so often caused by two things. Accumulated waste and gastric acidity. And Sal Hepatica is a quick-acting, effervescent, mineral salt laxative made especially to get after both of these conditions at once. That's why it is particularly effective, ladies and gentlemen, because Sal Hepatica not only removes accumulated waste through laxation, but besides, it also counteracts that acidity. So just put two teaspoonfuls of Sal Hepatica in a glass of water and drink it. You'll soon be feeling alert, alive, feeling that there is a Santa Claus. If you'll just remember Sal Hepatica. For the smile of health. Troubadours have just played Limehouse Blues. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you didn't expect to meet Jello again. This is Jack Benny talking. Will you get a will you get away from here? Is this Wednesday night or not? Well <laughs> As I was saying, ladies and gentlemen, tonight you didn't expect to meet a uh, whom, Fred? Well, right in back of this radio studio on the Warner Brothers lot here, Harry, there's a gentleman who operates the lunch wagon. Mm-hmm. Day and night, he is a veritable tornado of chopped meat and onions, for he is a genial Merlin who assembles hamburgers at an instant's notice for his customers. And his customers, Harry, are only movie and radio celebrities. Now, I think a man who works untold hours to help radio and movie favorites fend off malnutrition has an odd profession. He certainly has, Fred. Well, I've invited him to jump out of his frying pan into our fire this evening and see how it feels to be grilled himself. And so then, ladies and gentlemen, tonight I know you didn't expect to meet Mr. Willie King. 
Willie, you always make all of us feel at home at your lunch wagon, and Harry and I want you to feel at home here with us tonight. Thank you, Miss Allen. I'll do my best. Well, first of all, do you just operate this one lunch wagon in back of the studio? No, I have six wagons all together. Uh, where are the other five touring cafes? They're in a garage. I only use them for special occasions. For banquets, weddings, and things like that, you mean? No. When Warner Picture Companies go on location, I send out my trucks to serve lunch to the actors and mechanics. I see. You have the location concession. Right. I'm the only lunchman with the exclusive concession at the, at the studio. You, uh, you haven't any competition there? Well, there's one fellow running a freelance lunch wagon... But he can't muscle in on my territory. A, uh, a freelance lunch wagon. <laughs> it isn't that fellow they call uh, Tomain Sam, is it? I won't mention any names. Why should I advertise a competitor? <laughs> You're right, Willie. Well, tell me, has your lunch wagon ever been in any of the Warner pictures? Yes. At the one you ate, you eat, was used, I'm a fugitive from a chain gang. It was in, I'm a fugitive from a chain gang. Huh? Well, how did it scream? For not being made up and considering it's a wagon, it looked pretty good. Well, you ought to paint your wagon red, Willie, and be ready for Technicolor. You think it's a bad idea? I think it's a good idea. <laughs> but say, there's one that... Don't mind my voice tonight, Willie. I'm taking uh, voice lessons from Andy Devine's teacher. It's just having a picture. But say, there's one question I forgot to, I should have really asked you first, Willie. How did you get into this a la carte cafe business? Well, years ago, I used to be in picture business. Uh-huh, now it comes out. You were an actor, huh? No, I was assistant director with Larry Seaman in Silent Pictures. What was the last picture you worked on? The Wizard of Oz. Were there any actors who are stars today in The Wizard of Oz? Clark Gable was an extra in that picture. He carried a spear. I wonder... I wonder what ever became of that spear. I wouldn't know. <laughs> Naturally, but how did, how did you happen to work yourself up from assistant directing to owning a lunch wagon? <laughs> well, when the talkers came in, I asked Jack Warner to give me the lunchroom concession at his studio. And Jack Warner did, huh? Yes, Fred, that was 12 years ago, and thanks to his kindness, I've been in business ever since. Well, I imagine, Willie, that during the past 12 years... You have sold a sandwich to practically every big star on the Warner lot. Yes, I've known them all. And you're acquainted with all of the Warner stars today, of course. Oh, yes. Dick Powell, John Modell, Edward G. Robinson, Andy Devine, Ted O'Brien, Leslie Howard. What does, uh, say, what does Leslie Howard usually have for lunch? Kippers and, uh, crumpets? No, Mr. Howard generally has coffee and donuts. Well, confidentially, Willie, have you ever caught, uh, Leslie Howard, uh, dunking? Well, one day... <laughs> Now, wait for your laugh, Willie. Wait for your laugh. Well, one day when he was when he was drinking his coffee, I did hear a splash. You heard a splash while Mr. Howard was drinking his coffee. <laughs> was Les dunking? No, his wristwatch fell in his coffee. Well, who else bolts calories at your table d'hote trailer? Ruby Keeler. Does Ruby like your hamburgers? She says they're the best in town. No kidding, huh? Is Al, Al, uh, what's his name, her husband, uh, Al, uh, that fella, is he a hamburger addict? No. no, Al generally takes a steak smothered in ketchup. What about Betty Davis? Miss Davis is crazy about potatoes. potatoes. I've seen her order fried potatoes and potato salad in the same plate. I imagine you treasure the mental picture you have of Miss Davis's potatoes among your starchy souvenirs, Willie. <laughs> There's no time for sentiment when you're running a lunch wagon, Fred. 
forgotten one of Warner Brothers' most important stars, Willie. Have you ever served Paul Muni? Sure, but I had trouble recognizing him. He looks so different in every picture. You've never chased Mr. Muni away from the wagon, have no, you? No, but once when he was making Louis Pasteur, I kept him waiting a half an hour. I didn't, reconi- I didn't recognize him with his beard on. Did uh, Mr. Muni stop in for lunch at every- Emo Zola? Every day. I'd like to have seen Zola eating a hamburger. Say, say if they're good enough for Paul Muni, they're good enough for Zola. <laughs> You've been catering the movie folks so long, Willie. Tell me, who eats more, the stars or the extras? Well, the extra usually. Lots of these stars are dieting while they're working. Have you ever witnessed any unusual gluttony at your wagon? <laughs> Once I saw Barton McLean eat five steak sandwiches in a row. Five steak sandwiches? When I, is that an all-time vitamin record? No. I think Al Dubin, the songwriter, holds the record. Oh, I've seen Al. He's a pretty big boy. Al must weigh about 250. I know. I heard they offered him a job as a stand in over at the Elysian Mountain until they get the runaway part. Until <laughs> they get the, the runaway part back in place. What did, the, what did Al eat the day he broke your record? As I recall, Al had two ham sandwiches, two hot dogs, two hamburgers, salami sandwich with ice cream, and plenty of coffee and tea in between. What did Al say when he finished? It wasn't a word. I get it. <laughs> Well, thanks, Willie, for giving us this opportunity to put on our optical napkins and take a peek behind your mound of chopped steak and onions. It's been a pleasure, Fred. You, uh, you like the radio business, eh? It's not bad. You don't have to wear an apron. (laughs) I know, but you found the secret of success in your own business, Willie. You've hitched your lunch wagon to a movie star. And the Warner Brothers. Right. Every sandwich, a Warner Brother production. Now, before you go, is there a word of encouragement or advice you'd like to give to any youngsters who might be thinking of going into your business? All of this, Fred. If you're going to be a success making hamburger sandwiches, you've got to make both ends meet. (laughs) Meat as in hamburger, I see. Well, good night and thank you, Willie King. Gentlemen, if you have no serious objections, I'd like to conduct a little experiment at, the experiment at this point. You see, some expert has just burst into print with a statement that radio audiences listen with only half their minds and consequently have only a vague idea of what they hear. Well, do uh, you think you can change all that, Fred? No, Harry. All I want to do is to prove or disprove it. Now, if I can just get someone within the range of these tired eyes, uh, well, this gentleman here in the front row, uh, do you uh, listen regularly to this program, sir? Every chance I get. My public. Would you, uh, <laughs> would, would you mind stepping up to the microphone just a second, sir? Pleasure. Thank you. Now, will you tell me in your own words what Mr. Von Zell says every week about Ipana toothpaste? Well, I'll try. Let's see. He recommends Ipana toothpaste and massage, and my dentist backs him up on the tooth. He says you can help keep your teeth bright and sparkling with the regular use of Ipana. And I think he makes a very good point when he says that the soft, creamy foods we eat don't give our gums enough work to do. But if we massage our gums every day with Ipana toothpaste, we can give them the exercise they need to help keep them firm and healthy. I guess that just about covers everything. Well, Fred, this gentleman sort of knocks your expert's theory into a cocked hat, doesn't he? Well, of course, Mr. Vonzell, I've been using Ipana for a couple of years now. And just lately, with one of those new double-duty toothbrushes, so I've had plenty of chance to check up on your statements. 
Maybe that's why I remember them so well. Well, whatever the reason is, we're very indebted to you, sir. Not at all, Mr. Bunzel. Oh, there's one more thing I didn't mention. Well, maybe we'd better leave that for Harry. He might feel slighted if we didn't. Go ahead, Harry. Well, I don't know. All that's left for me to say is since brighter teeth and healthier gums naturally mean a far more attractive smile, ladies and gentlemen, always remember Aitana for the smile of beauty. just played a part of I'm Feeling Like a Million. We started our new service a few weeks ago, ladies and gentlemen. You know, on all of the hour programs right in the middle where the announcer says this is station so-and-so-and-so-and-so, the music always sort of dies out, and for a few brief seconds, you miss part of the tune. So week after week now, we are going to give you back the few little bars of music you miss when the announcer speaks in our program. Will you play the few uh, strains there, Peter, for us, please? Thank you very much. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you fit that back into the parts you heard before the announcer spoke, you have I'm Feeling Like a Million. Now, uh, on Friday night, the Port Jervis String Ensemble... Portland, into each life some rain must fall, unless uh, unless one lives in Palm Springs, of course. Or unless one is an old maid. What is an old maid to do with no rain falling in her life? If an old maid never gets married, she never gets a shower, does she? Tell her shower as long as she's healthy. What is this? Well, I've got a big surprise for you tonight, Mr. Allen. Big surprise? Now look. Portland, this is the day of digest publications, concentrated foods, and capsule criticism. Couldn't you sense the trend and show up with a little surprise? But this is the biggest thing you've had on the program this year. Hello again for the fourth time. (laughs) Now look, Portland, a thing on the program we don't need. Stuff I don't mind, but not a thing. seal, throw him a fish, and tell him I'm busy. Now, wait a minute, Fred. If you'll just take your nose, that one you used to talk through out of that microphone, you'll see that it's me. Oh, Jack! Jack Benny! Well, I'm sure... Wait a minute. There's a reception goes in there. Well, If you all took a little bit each time, it's better you get it all at once like this. Let it pile up. Well, I'm terribly sorry, Jack. I didn't notice you. How long have you been standing there? Since 8 o'clock this morning. (laughs) They've been using me instead of the bull of a watch time. Hey, Jack, did Mary come along with you? No, Porty. She wanted to come over, but she's busy with her Christmas shopping. Christmas shopping? Yeah, right now she's over at Bullets Wilshire putting me through bankruptcy. surprise you dropping in. I didn't know you were going to be here tonight. I didn't know it either, Fred, until I heard you announce it five times last week. (laughs) But don't get me wrong, Freddy. I appreciate that build-up. I'm one guy who knows that it pays to advertise. Now, listen here, Benny. If that's a hint, you're not getting one cent for crawling in here tonight, and you know it. (laughs) 
Why, Fred, I uh, really, I didn't expect to get paid for this. I haven't any more right to take money for working on this program than you have. <laughs> you for a while, Liz. Now, uh... <laughs> Those armchair jokes, they'll hold you for a while, Liz. Professor Quiz, I'd say correct. Absolutely correct. And if I was Major Bowes, you'd have left with a unit ten minutes ago. Hey, that's nice work if you can get it. You know, Freddie, I wouldn't mind being back in Vaudeville again, though, would you? Ah, those were the good old days. Yes, sir. Say, Fred, no kidding. Will you ever forget the time you and I were together at the Orpheum Theater in Sioux City, Iowa? Yep. Only I was on the stage. I don't care, Freddie. I made more money selling peanuts in one day than you did all week. Well, Jack, I didn't make much money in those days, but I was a pretty good juggler. Remember how I used to toss those Indian clubs in the air and do a funny monologue at the same time? I sure do. And, Fred, you remember when you dropped those clubs? How you'd let them lay there right alongside of your jokes? You swept up the theater every night. I did not. I used to stay in the theater late just to practice my violin. Yeah, you should have stuck to your broom. I should have stuck to my own program, too. Right? I had to ask for this yet, too. Well, you had to write well, it yet. Yeah. Well, Fred, anyway, a lot of water has gone over the darn since then, huh? Over the darn? Yes, Fred, you know how careful we have to be. <laughs> but just think, Freddie, just think, here we are, both in Hollywood and both of us in pictures. It does seem unreasonable, doesn't it? Of course, Fred, maybe I shouldn't point this out, but I, uh... I do make a lot more pictures than you do. Well, Jack, there's so little of you in each one, you have to make more. Oh, is that why they do it? I'm glad you brought that up. How do you like pictures, Fred? Fine, Jack. I just finished one called Sally, Irene, and Mary. I'm leaving for New York next week. Oh, they're releasing you instead of the picture. <laughs> now, Benny, if you're here to drip venom... Heed your promiscuous spattering, and remember that retribution is the trailer that follows oral pollution. Alan, you're just lucky. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway, I had a hunch you were going back east, Fred, and that's why I came up here to see you. Have you decided uh, which way you're going back? I mean, uh, which form of transportation? Well, I was going to take the boat and go through Panama. But I've got a hat, so oh. I decided to, uh, I decided to take the train. Well, Fred, I, of course, I don't want to influence you one way or the other, but, uh, have you ever thought of driving back east? You know, by automobile? Uh, what kind of an automobile? Now, don't rush me. <laughs> and it's in good condition, too. Would you like to drive back home, Freddie? No, Jack. I'll uh, I'll stick to the chief. Well, if you'd rather hang around with India. But the chief is a train, as you will find out when you finish your next picture, Mr. Benny. Say, what are you trying to get at, anyway? Well, Fred, I own a Maxwell. 
And I thought that... You don't think you can palm that tin nightmare off on me, I hope. Why, I wouldn't be found dead in that car. Say, you're no better than the engine. (laughs) Why, the engine in that steam cabinet is so dead, the front wheels are nothing but rubber pallbearing. (laughs) Where is that uncovered wagon? It's right outside the door. Hey, boys, boys. Yeah, hey, uh, Will you drive my Maxwell in, please? Sure, sure. Now, be careful, fellas. It's a high-powered car there, you know. Right in here, boys. Right in here. Well, uh, wanted to leave it right here, Mr. Benny? Yes, yes, thanks, fellas. Hey, what's, what's that noise? Noise? I'll cut off the motor so we can hear it. I guess this belongs to you. Oh, the door. Yes, thanks. <laughs> I, uh, I went to close it and it came off in my hand. <laughs> well, you can stick it back on with a little new skin, Jack. <laughs> Say, watch that bottle of scotch doing tight on the front. That's for the radiator on New Year's Eve. <laughs> it looks like the car's got a hangover already. Benny, you may not be a snake in the grass, but you're sure hanging around with a rattler there. That's libel, Alan. And if I had my writers here, what we'd call you. Be a four-bell rat. Say, what's up? Who started that? Say, what was that? Did the engine drop out? No, Smarty, it's the new sunken motor. And listen to this horn. That note is by Stakowski. <laughs> well, how, how, is, how is the car on gas? Well, I get about four miles to the court. <laughs> if I insist, of course. If you, uh, uh, if you put your foot down. Yes, yes. Well, uh, how much does that make to the gallon? Well, I never put in a gallon. I don't believe in spoiling a car. You know how it is with gas tanks. Easy come, easy go. Well, Alan, what do you say? Well, now that I've had a good look at this bear trap, Jack, I know why the Maxwell people went into the coffee business. (laughs) Now, Freddie, I'm not begging you to take this car. Only I thought, well, you walk all the time. You're not getting any younger. I think you ought to take your varicose veins out for a spin one by one. What are you asking for this Rhapsody and Junk? $95 FOB. FOB for old Benny. Well, how about it, Fred? Hey, if you don't know, <laughs> laughing at your next Sunday show already. if I could think of an answer right now. If you don't know by now that I don't want that car, you ought to have your skull thinned. All right, Fred, as long as you don't want to buy it, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll wrap it in cellophane, tie a big red ribbon around it, and give it to you for Christmas. How's that? If I wake up Christmas morning and find that monstrosity in my stocking, I'll go barefooted the rest of my life. That would be nothing new for you, you hillbilly. So you don't even want it for a present, huh? I don't want it present, past, or future. You can take that animated skillet. All right, Fred, all right. I merely wanted to be a good fellow, that's all. If you don't want the car, and I think you don't, 
I'll be on my way. No hard feelings, I hope. No, Jack, I haven't anything against you, not Denny the man. No. I'm just not in the market, that's all. I hope I didn't offend you. Oh, no, Freddie, I'll just have to sell it to some other uh, guy. <laughs> Good luck. Thanks, Freddie. Goodbye. Hey, what was that, Jack? That's what my car thinks of you, Alan. Mr. Benny, you've come a long way since the last time we met. And now... <laughs> and now, now, ladies and gentlemen, let's all get together and make this coming holiday a safe, sane, and happy one. When you buy your cap pistols, Roman candles, toy cannon, and firecrackers, be sure to... Wait, 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 just a minute, Fred. What holiday are you talking about, anyway? By the 4th of July, of course. Well, Fred, the coming holiday is Christmas. I know that, Harry, but if you start talking about Christmas these days, you run into a lot of competition. And besides, I had a message up my sleeve. I want people to be careful. I want them to be able to enjoy their holiday. Well, Fred, I had a holiday message also. Oh, Harry, did I spoil it for you? Well, no, because I want everybody to enjoy the holidays, too. And I want them to be careful. Especially careful of a cold. Because nothing can take the merry out of a merry Christmas more completely than a cold. That's why I hope that during the holidays, everyone will be sure to have a bottle of Sal Hepatica on hand. Because so many physicians say you can often help throw off a cold more quickly if, at its very beginning, you do two important and fundamental things. One, remove accumulated weight. And two, counteract the acidity that so frequently accompanies a cold. And Sal Hepatica, ladies and gentlemen, is an effective mineral salt laxative that does both of those things at once. It not only removes accumulated waste through laxation, but it also helps nature counteract that acidity. So don't take chances on a cold spoiling your holidays. Take Sal Hepatica for the smile of health. gentlemen, we bring you those theatrical termites who have gone through their artistic lives trying to bring down the house, the Mighty Allen Art Players. Tonight they present a Christmas fable. It's called Santa Claus Sits Down or Jingle Bells Shall Not Ring Tonight. Over to you, Peter. This is station NGNG, folks. Our next program will be... Just a minute, folks. Here's a bulletin from the Radio News Bureau. A rumor has just reached us that Santa Claus will not ride this Christmas. Unconfirmed reports ride throughout the country that Santa Claus is on sit-down strike. What's going on in Santa Claus's igloo? Stand by, folks. Assassinated Press is investigating the trouble, and we hope... Is this the Santa Claus igloo? Yes, I'm Mrs. Claus. I'm Phil B. of the Assassinated Press. I'm here to check on this rumor that Santa Claus refuses to ride this year. Oh, I'm glad you come. I've been fighting with him all week, and he refuses to budge. Well, where is Santa Claus now? Oh, the old fool's in the next room sulking. I'll get him. Hey, Santa! Oh, there ain't no use coaxing, Ma. Oh, you ain't going. <laughs> come on out, stupid. You got company. Oh, well. 
What's on your mind, son? Well, I'm from the Assassinated Press, Santa Claus. Now, what's this idea? Oh, no, I, I ain't riding now. But this is Christmas Eve. Trees are lit up. Millions of children have hung up their stockings. The whole world is oh, waiting. Well, regardless, I ain't riding. Ain't no use, mister. He's stubborn. No, I ain't stubborn either. I'm sick of being Santa Claus, holding the bag every year. Well, you must have a reason for quitting. I got plenty of reasons. Well, will you talk for the press? Yeah, might swell, I guess. Well, now, Santa, why won't you ride tonight? Well, I'll tell you, son. It's a long story. I've been closing it for 1937 years, son. I've been a-bringing presents, toys for kiddies, loud neckties and handkerchiefs for grown-ups, every Christmas trying to spread joy. But my efforts down through the ages has been a bit of disappointment. My intentions has been good, but my reward has been nothing but grief. The first trouble I had was an ancient Rome. It was Christmas Eve in the court of Nero. The emperor was playing a violin concerto. Fiddler in Rome, like is? Yeah, Nero! Is your king a master of pizzicato? Yeah, Nero! Shall Nero play an encore? No, Nero! What? You dog! Be gone, hypocrite! Clear my throne room! Yes! Uh, now I can play my violin. I'm alone. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Uh, what's this? What fell out of my chimney? Merry Christmas, Nero. Merry Christmas. Who are you, Lumpkin? The chimney sweep? I'm Santa Claus, Nero, bearing Christmas gifts for your majesty. Cad Zooks, another basket of fruit from the Rome Kiwanis Club. <laughs> No, my gift is a trinket rare. So rare, it hasn't even been invented yet. Watkins, what is this tiny golden box? It's a cigarette lighter, Nero. Turn your little wheel. Gramercy, it flames. It flames. Merry Christmas, Nero. Oh, it flames. Roma scoffed at my fiddle. Nero will have his revenge. Hey, watch that lighter, Nero. You're setting fire to the drapery. I'm setting fire to all Rome. Revenge! Look out! Revenge. Nero! <laughs> so you see, son, if it wasn't for Santa Claus, Rome wouldn't have burned. Well, I know that, but... Here I... I was trying to spread good cheer, and what did I get? Singed whiskers. But that was 2,000 years ago. Nero was only the start of my trouble, son. A few centuries later, I had trouble in a little country to the north of England. That Christmas, I had a present for a young poet. I peeked in the window. He was writing a sonnet. His mother come into the room. Bobby! Bobby! I'm a... It's time you were a bed, lad. I'm composing, little. Have you not heard them a poet? A poet at your age. Rubbish. I am Robbie Burns, the youngest poet in the Glen. Are you concocting a limerick, lad? Not the song, mother. Listen. By yon bonny banks and by yon bonny bray, where me and my two love wherever want to, it's no finish. Oh, I can't think of a rhyme for bray. Uh, pay. Pay in a Scotch song? <laughs> I'm an 
to hurry and go to bed. Composing on Christmas. It's evil. Good night. Good night, mother. Oh, rhyme. Gray, play, day, Chevrolet. Ho, 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 Who are you coming out of that chimney? I'm Santa Claus, Bobby Burns. Merry Christmas. What's your business, Red Britches? <laughs> I'm Santa Claus, Bobby. I brought you something here. A rhyming dictionary. Good one, let me look. I pray, ray, say, pray. Where me and my true love were ever want to stray. I a bonny rhyme, I've written a gem. Merry Christmas, Bobby. Uh, how much are you asking for the rhyming dictionary, Claus? It's Christmas, Bobby. I'm giving it to you. Giving it? Mr. Burns, I only gave Bobby a Christmas gift. Give him? Grab him, now, son, let me go. take him to the asylum. Hold on, Mr. Burns. I only gave your son a present. Exactly. A man who gives anything away in Scotland belongs in a padded cell. Grab him, son. Scotland. I was in the booby hatch there for 30 days. But that was 200 years ago. I know, but a few Christmases later, I got a raw deal in another suburb of England. It was called the American Colonies. I dropped in at the house of some fellow named Paul Revere. His wife was preparing dinner as Paul came through the door. Christmas dinner ready, Effie? Yes, Paul. Pull up a chair. No, no. Set my plate on the mantelpiece. Can't you sit down yet, Paul Revere? Why, that land was... That ride was last April. Uh, through every Middlesex village and farm ain't once round Central Park, Effie. So you ought to try and sit down for Christmas, Paul. It'd be a nice present for your spine. Who's that? Might be a British spy, Paul. The word is full of them. Hand him a gun. I'll talk to him through the door. Who's there? Merry Christmas, Paul. It's Santa Claus. So what? I've got your Christmas present, Paul. It's a cushion stuffed with spurs from Delaware Peaches. Can I sit onto it? You bet. Sounds mighty tempting, Effie. I'll let him in. It might be a British trick, Paul. Don't open that door. I'm Santa Claus, Mrs. Revere. Open up. I've got my gun, Effie. I'll open the door. A crack. Merry Christmas, Paul. Look at his suit, Paul. A red coat. Take this. Now, whoa, now, Paul. Well, sir, when I got back to my sleigh and sought down, I was mighty glad I still had that cushion full of beach fuzz. You see, son, the world's given old Santa plenty of trouble. But all these troubles were years ago, Santa Claus. People appreciate you today. You're wrong, son. Only last Christmas, I went down to a place called Washington, D.C. I got confused and went down the wrong chimney. I come out in some office. Coming down the chimney, I heard a man phoning. Hello? Hummingbird Conservation Project, Professor Beek speaking. Two million dollars for a hummingbird community bird bath in Florida. I'll mail you a check Monday. Goodbye. <laughs> here, what are you doing here? Merry Christmas. I'm Santa Claus. Santa Claus? One of the Wagner Act clauses? No, no. I'm a mythical character. Oh, a friend of Jim Farley's, eh? <laughs> no, no. I come down from the North Pole once a year to give things away. I give and give all up and down the land. To make people happy. You do? Well, you'd better go back to the pole, Fatty. But I'm Santa. No, you're not. The government is Santa Claus today. 
And that was only last year, son. That's why my spirit's broken. Being Santa Claus is just one pain in the ermine after another. Well, won't you reconsider? Think how the headline will look in the paper. Santa Claus on sit-down strike. Well, Santa ain't a-getting up, son. This is one Christmas I'm gonna enjoy in peace. What's that clock striking? Twelve o'clock, Santa. It's Christmas Day. It is, eh? Well, I ain't moving. I don't mean nothing to me. I'm sitting here. I'm taking it easy. I'm leaning right back here. Not getting kicked around this Christmas. Hey, Ma. Yes, Santa. Where's my mittens? My bag? My reindeer? My sleigh? You mean... Yep, I'm going, Ma. But I thought you said... I've changed my mind, son. Christmas ain't Christmas without Santa Claus. I'm a-giving the world one more chance. But what about my story, Santa on sit-down? Change the headline, son. Just say, Fuck Santa Rides Again! Christmas will have come and gone. So right now, I want to wish every one of you the merriest and the happiest kind of a holiday. And that sincere wish comes from Portland and myself, Peter and Harry, and from our sponsors, the makers of Ipana Toothpaste and Sal Hepatica. And so then, from all of us to all of you, Merry Christmas. <laughs> has been <laughs> Radio Production. <laughs>